So we've been in a series called Meals with Jesus. And last week on Easter was going to be our last in the series, our last meal with Jesus. Um, but as we were talking, we realized that we haven't had dessert. So this morning is dessert week. And Nathan told me since I'm the sweetest on staff, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't actually say that, but I could tell that's probably what he was thinking. <laughs> For my undergraduate degrees, um, I went to a school called Philadelphia Biblical University. And as you can probably guess by the Bible school name, we weren't exactly an athletic powerhouse. <laughs> but I went there because they needed a center fielder and I was a, a pretty good one. So fast forward a couple of years, um, I had made the baseball all-conference team a, a couple times, and that has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to tell everyone that I made the all-conference team, uh, actually all four years that I played. <laughs> but in my, in my second year uh, of uh, college, uh, I was in a study session, which I was attending because I wanted a, a passing grade. And in that, was well, that funny? That's, yeah. So in that study session, um, I actually started to get annoyed at one of my classmates because he kept going off topic to talk about what God was doing in the class uh, through the class like while reading the scriptures. This was Bible school, and I was getting frustrated that God kept getting brought up. Um, see, I wasn't in that class because I wanted to get closer to my heavenly father. I was in that class because I wanted to learn what God said so I could write it on a paper so I could pass. But uh, my classmate was telling me how uh, what we were learning, God started stirring in his, in his heart and how he could feel like God was speaking to him through the verses. And I made the comment that for me, sometimes the Bible could actually just feel like a, another textbook in some of my classes. Um, and he, he actually laughed at me. He looked at me and he said, well, then that's your fault. He said, the Bible is not just another book. Uh, the Bible is the living and active word of God. He said, and if you allow it, the Bible can change you. And I hadn't heard anyone really speak like him before, certainly not a, a college kid. You know, I was, a, I was a Christian at the time, and everyone knew that I was a Christian. Um, but I didn't go to, to, to church to, to change myself. I didn't read the Bible at the time to interact with God. You know, I just wanted to get through my day, pass my classes, so I could go play baseball. But I couldn't get what he said out of my head. And I, I kept thinking about it more and more. And it was slow going at first. But once I decided that the Bible wasn't just written for me to read, but it was actually written for me, it started to take hold of me and actually have a, a real effect on me. It started to open my eyes to who Jesus really is. And it was in that fellowship with other believers that got me there. With me, my classmate, there was just something different about him. I'm sure you guys have all had that experience where you're around someone, you can't exactly put your finger on it, but there's just something about them that makes you want to be around them. And I'm not saying that it's the Holy Spirit in every incidence, but I do know that often when the Holy Spirit is inside of someone, it's noticeable. Because it certainly was with him. And when we find those people in our lives, it's something that we should try and fight to be around more. And if you haven't found someone like that, uh, a good place where you can look is right here in the church, in, in this community of believers. So you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with a meal at all? Um, but we're going to go to it now in verse 30. If you can put that up, Matthew. We're going to go to verse 30 first. It says, when he, Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. 
and their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. Keep that phrase in your head. We're going to come back to that. And with Jesus breaking the bread, that probably sounds a little familiar, the wording that is used there, because we've all heard that phrasing before. It was the, the moment that Jesus shared with his disciples the, the night that which he was betrayed. And we use those same words when we meet with Jesus for communion, that holy meal. So that might sound a little familiar. I want to show you another part of the scripture today that will sound a little familiar. Matthew, can you put up verse 13? And now we're, we're just going to walk right through the scriptures. <clears throat> verse 13. That very day, two of them, two people that followed Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Did you hear it? What sounded familiar for us? A village named Emmaus. Did you know that that's where we got the name for Emmaus Hall, our fellowship hall back there? It's where we break bread together. It's where community happens in our church. You know, this may surprise you, but <clears throat> we don't have food and coffee in Emmaus Hall because we're worried about your lunch plans, right? No, we do it so we can have this community time together, you know, a place where we can talk to each other and get to know each other. We go to Emmaus Hall <clears throat> so God can open up our eyes to what he might be doing for us in our community. We live in a culture now, not surprisingly, where our eyes aren't always open to what's going on around us, right? We're always moving. We're, we're always on the, goal, on the go. And some of you may be thinking, you know, but Lance, I don't really have the time to meet up after church, or, or I just don't like talking to people. Um, or you think I can just get my coffee somewhere else. And all of that may be true, but there may be people in there who want to get to know you. Or maybe people in there who need to get to know somebody like you. It's so easy to always think about our own comfort, what makes us comfortable. But it's not always as easy to think about the comfort of other people and what they might need. And I mention that because relationships are formed in community. So after service today, Nathan gave you an invite earlier. I'm giving you another one. Come meet in Emmaus Hall. Come meet someone new or come talk to friends that you already know. Come see what, is, what God is doing in other people's lives. Because seeing how God is impacting other people's lives could also have an effect on how he impacts yours. Because I know it did for me in college. And it still does for me now. Like I love hearing what God's doing in everybody's lives here. That actually motivates me. You know, when I hear like all the good things that are going on in Pastor Heather's life, like that excites me. That excites me. When something new that God is doing is happening in like Jackson Walker's life, I get I get excited for for things like that. So if you're in Emmaus Hall and you're uncomfortable thinking, you know, I don't know exactly what to say to somebody, just go up to them and say, Hey, I haven't met you yet. It's simple and it works and it gets a conversation going. And then if you're bold, you can ask them, what's God doing in your life? With the students, uh, almost every time I meet with a student one-on-one, -on -one, I ask them that's qu that question, either how they're doing spiritually or what is God doing in their life. And you can tell at first they're very hesitant because they think that I want some Bible school answer, um, but I, that's not what I'm after, and they, they eventually get it. And now they almost expect it. They know that that question is coming. Because God's doing something in every one of our lives here. But are we paying attention to what he's doing? You know, I think when the, the people built uh, Emmaus Hall uh, before my time I was here, um, I think they built that place for that sense of community, for that, that fellowship so we can meet and see where, where maybe God could open up our eyes. So let's go to verse 14. Verse 14 says, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And what had happened that morning was, 
was Easter morning. It was the, the morning that Jesus rose from the grave. And the tomb is empty. And now word is starting to spread. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Throughout the years, people have debated and discussed who exactly these people were. Uh, in a, a verse or two, we're going to find out that one of them is named Cleopas, but they, the other one is unnamed. And one of the, the popular thoughts um, that is most widely accepted, it's one that I like the most, is that Cleopas was walking with his wife. And that changes the scene for me. I bet it changes the scene in your head, too. Because when I have a, a hard day, or I have a lot on my mind, or I need someone to vent to, the person that I want to be with and, and talk to is my wife. You know, that person just seems to understand a little bit more. Because walking with a buddy or a friend, um, that walk is, is just a little bit different than walking with your spouse. So I like to picture a man here walking with his spouse. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus appears. He doesn't appear, they don't, they don't recognize that it's him, but he appears uh, to this couple. Um, back, back about 100 years ago or, or so, there was a Russian czar, and he said that he was always surrounded by yes-men. So he said he could never get a real gauge about how he was doing in his leadership. So what he did is he would dress up as a commoner and walk through the square and interact with people and discuss politics. And he did this to get honest opinions of how he was doing as a leader from people who didn't know who he was. And maybe that's what's happening with here uh, with Jesus as well. He wanted to hear from the mouths of people as if they weren't talking to Jesus. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. See, the question stopped them in their tracks. These are people that are depressed, people that are grieving. And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? So Jesus is still undercover at this point. They don't know who he is, who they're talking to. And then Jesus says uh, in verse 19, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and, cru and crucified him. And this is the emotional part. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things has ha have happened. You see what's happening here? They're saying that the one that was crucified, Jesus, this is the one that we had put all of our hope into. They were really hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. But he was killed before he could save them. And now they don't know what to do. For the people that were following Jesus... When Jesus died on the cross, their hopes died with him. Even the disciples, if they really knew the whole story, they may have actually been excited when Jesus died because they just know they had to wait three days and then he was going to come back. But said the disciples were hiding. Their hopes were, were dead and they were scared. For them, all was lost, as were their hopes that Jesus was going to be their, their saving grace. They didn't know what to do. Have you ever felt that sense of hopelessness? Maybe you put your hope in a relationship that failed. Or maybe a job that you were relying on fell through. 
Because many people have, many people in this room have had those things. And you think that nobody can relate, but people can relate. And it helps to meet together and talk about those things. Well, in the story with Jesus dying, that could have been the end of the story. But sadness is never the end of any story where Jesus is the center. Let's look at verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So now at this point, they don't know what to believe. Was Jesus' body stolen? Did someone come and roll away the stone and take his body to make it seem like he had risen? Or could it have actually happened? Could Jesus have risen from the dead? And then what would that mean? Because they certainly would have known the prophecies that said that Jesus I mean, the prophecies that said the Messiah was going to rise um, on the third day. But still, it's a pretty hard concept to comprehend. So while the two that were walking are trying to figure out what happened, Jesus answers it for them. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, this is great, and he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus is scolding them here. He's saying that you should know this. It's been written down. You probably went to school and studied this. Like, this is what, this is what Jesus did in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to, the, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things, that, the things concerning himself. The things concerning the coming Messiah. The things that concerning Jesus. He said Jesus is the Messiah. And he starts outlining all the historical events. All the, the Bible stories that we know. And, and telling them what they were actually talking about. So picture this. He goes back into what we know as the, the Old Testament. And starts walking through the scriptures with them. Imagine with me what this walk would have been like. You know, I can picture Jesus telling them the story of Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. And he tells them that that story wasn't just about a father's willingness to sacrifice his son. That story was foreshadowing God sacrificing his son for us. That that story was actually about Jesus. He most likely walked with, with them through Moses' life confronting Pharaoh and leading the, the people out of Egypt and explaining to them, do you know what that story was about? What that story was pointing towards? That story was about God rescuing his people and about the coming Messiah. Jesus probably told them about the story of David and Goliath and told them how that story was not about us overcoming the giant problems in our lives. You know, that story was about God defeating the enemy of our souls. That story, too, was about Jesus. And this walk must have been incredible. It's Jesus teaching about Jesus and how all the Old Testament stories happened in order for him to die and rise again. The author Fleming Rutledge, who has spoken here um, and wrote the book, The Crucifixion, she said that this walk must have been the greatest Bible study ever. You get to hear right from Jesus himself. It also says that it must have been a pretty long walk because it was approaching evening by the time they were getting there. So, verse 28. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him, to, they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to, to stay with them. They still don't know who Jesus is at this point, but they do know that they want him to stay around. They do know that there's something about this guy that they want to be around. So Jesus is now in their house with them or at the, the place with them. Jesus is at the table. Can you picture it? Jesus sitting at the table there. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and then he gives it to them. Verse 30, and he says, or 31, and he says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they vanished from, oh, and he vanished from their sight. So they didn't recognize him by seeing him or by walking with him and spending time with him. They had to hear everything. In the book of Romans, it says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And it wasn't until that moment that they realized that they had actually been walking and spending time with Jesus that whole time. And it all started to kind of make sense to them in verse 32, but they started questioning themselves now. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They heard it and their hearts burned. And then they experienced again what we see at communion, the breaking of the bread. But it was when they heard the words and recognized the act of communion, it was at that moment that that's when their, their eyes were open. And if, if you're like me, uh, I'm guessing that there's been times in your life when you've just kind of gone through the motions of church, just kind of showed up because you felt like you were supposed to, or even just reading the Bible because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. But you see, there's a, there's a big difference between just showing up and really experiencing time with God. Fellowship together and breaking bread together, those are moments that stir our hearts. So it's no wonder that at this moment, that's why the, the couple's eyes were open then. They'd been in fellowship with Jesus and they're about to partake in communion. Communion isn't just a time, we shouldn't think of it as just like something, uh, a part of church, something that we, we have to do. Have to do. No, it's, it's a moment for us to meet with our Savior, the one who created us and who we will one day meet face to face in eternity. You know, that's why we do communion here every week. And that's why we do it at every service here at Stanwich. So we can stand there for just a moment with that, that bread, that piece of bread in our hands, and remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. And then we, we take the cup or, or we dip it as a reminder that his blood was spilled for many. You know, but more importantly and more personally, it was spilled for you and for me. Sometimes that's harder to understand. Jesus went to the cross and he was sacrificed and crucified for us, but he didn't just die for us, right? He also rose from the grave for us. That's why last week we celebrated Easter. If Jesus didn't rise from the, from the dead, Easter wouldn't be a thing, and neither would Christianity. Because a lot of people in history have died. That's not what made Jesus special. It was the fact that he rose from the grave that makes him the most influential person in history and makes him the Messiah. So if we were on this walk, if we were sitting at the table, what would have been our response to encountering the living, the living Christ? 
It would get us excited and it would stir us into action. It would make us want to meet together in fellowship and tell other people about it and have those intimate moments with God. Because it did for these two in the passage. Let's look at verse 33. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. You know, we saw earlier that they were planning on staying there for the night. But once they realized what they knew, they had to go back and tell people. Verse 33 again. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We don't just do communion for ritual's sake. We don't just come to church because we're supposed to. Those acts are done so we can have real encounters with the living Christ. We do communion to have our eyes opened. Their experience that we're reading about in the story, that experience can be ours. So my question to all of us this morning is, have we encountered him? For me, it took the fellowship with someone else uh, and seeing their life change to have a, an impact on me. For, for you, it might just be hearing the word with, with fresh ears. So I ask you, what are you doing uh, in creating space in your life uh, to meet with him? Like, What are we each doing? Because Jesus is eager to meet with us every single day. Imagine where in your life he wants to open up our eyes. You know, all week as a, a preaching team, we've been talking about and we've been hoping that maybe one person in here will have their eyes open for the first time. Some of you have that experience every single week. Some of you maybe even every day. But our hope is that each one of us comes to the realization that God wants to meet with us and not just go through the motions of church. It would be like us being sick and going to the hospital and just sitting in the waiting room area. The doctor's right there. Go in and meet with him. Find out how your life can be improved. And it's interesting how in that example, just knowing the doctor, how your life can get better. But instead of meeting with a doctor, we have Jesus, who not only heals our hearts, but also opens up our eyes. Amen.